welcome to Accelerated. I'm your host, Vitaly Golem. On this second season of the podcast, we are hearing from some of the global leaders in everything electric and autonomous, moving us quickly into the future. On this episode, we speak with Praveen Penmetsa, the CEO of the smart and electric tractor Silicon Valley startup Monarch. Before founding the company, he spent two decades developing core technologies and full products across energy, mobility, agricultural tech, and even aviation. Since 2010, his company Motivo Engineering has completed over 540 projects from drone controls and luxury aircraft seats to automation and meat processing and broccoli transplant machines to autonomous delivery vehicles and electric speedboats. We talked about the challenges of electrifying farming, the long road to autonomy, and some of the other cool projects he's worked on in the past. Here's our conversation with Praveen. So let's dive right in. What is the vision behind Monarch Tractor? So our whole goal is to transform uh, the world of farming and the food ecosystem. Currently, the food ecosystem is not sustainable. It's not working in the interest of the farmer. And also, uh, we are not set up to succeed in terms of feeding the whole world. So we want to act as a bridge between sustainability and farm economics for farmers around the world, Vitaly. And the way we are doing that is with an electric tractor that has automation capabilities with being driver uh, optional and also acts as a data sensing uh, and collection and action device, right? So our tractor is much closer to, like, for example, a robot than maybe an old school tractor. Very cool. So we'll come back to the details, but I wanted to rewind a little bit and, and learn a little bit about you. Uh, tell us a, a bit about your career and what motivated you to, to start Monarch. Yeah. So a uh, long, long time ago, I was, a, I was a mechanical engineer, very much interested in the mobility space. I think both of us share a common passion there. Um, you know, spent a lot of time on the race car world, was very fortunate to get involved in robotics and electrification in the early 2000s. And I worked on cars that uh, that were electric. This was even before Tesla existed. So uh, all of those experiences on the robotics side and these advanced projects really uh, unearthed a desire in me to like kind of work on things that get to market, not just research projects. So that led to me starting a, a firm called Motivo Engineering in 2010, whose whole sole aim was to bring these kind of audacious visions to life. And I've been very fortunate on the Motivo side to work on projects ranging from one wheel to electric flying aircraft and everything in between. On that journey of mobility and robotics, we started getting approached by farmers, initially in California and then later on in other parts of America and the rest of the world who were looking for some of the, who were facing huge labor shortage challenges and were looking for technology to support them. So that led to our entry from and the transition from automotive and mobility into the ag world. And once we started doing some projects there, Vitaly, we really understood the scale of challenges that the food ecosystem player faces, the scale of challenges that farmers face, and also more importantly, why people like you and me should care about what's happening on the farming side today. And all of that was the genesis for Monarch Tractor, where Myself, Dr. Zachary Omohundro, Mark Schwager, and Carlo Mondavi got together and started Monarch Tractor in being able to provide uh, a next generation platform for farmers around the world to not just farm sustainably, but also like to really change their farm economics for the better. 
and both those were the were the stakes in the ground for us to start Monarch Tractor, and it should not those two over the last couple of years and even today are treated as being at loggerheads with each other, especially from a farming perspective, and we don't see it that way. We see technology being the bridge between sustainability and farm economics. Yeah, and I'd love to come back to I'd love to come back to that point. I think there's there's a bit of uh, kind of a tug of war. Uh, between autonomy and electrification, all sorts of things, and this is a one of the—it's it, the oldest industry, or one of the oldest industries. So it, it's going to be interesting to dive into that in a second, on on the response from the from the industry. So um, you know, I wanted to touch a little bit about you know you you went from running an engineering services company, and you dove into focusing on one product. Uh, I've done something similar in my career. Um, I think getting into that, you think that it's not it's not going to be that much different, but we know it's very different. So, uh, one, see, kind of, what have you learned so far in your journey of going from engineering services to focusing on just one product and bringing it to market? Yeah, the uh, the exciting part of that is I think it was a very good preparation um, in terms of like being able to work with a lot of the startups around the world. Um, and in the Silicon Valley, and also working with corporate innovation groups, whether it's for like large OE entities in the automotive and aerospace world, or whether it's the audacious startups that you see in Silicon Valley. Uh, working with both those entities through Motivo Engineering, Vitaly, like gave us a good broad perspective of uh, you know what works, what doesn't, what are the challenges, et cetera. But again, you're absolutely right, right? There's only so much preparation you can do from the outside in. And the moment we dive in, yeah, the water is always a little colder than expected. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, we were able to carry some lessons forward. Um, so for me, uh, you know, to be very specific, I think the uh, the hardware challenges of building uh, a tractor, for example, is something that we were very conversant in. We saw the development risk we were well prepared for. In terms of distribution, scaling, service, um, you know, support, all of those kind of events are the kind of items that we need to spend a lot more time thinking about. That usually in the consulting world, those are all on the execution side, right? Those are all just a strategy at some level. Um, so being in the thick of it, talking to customers and end users on a daily basis, standing in the farm on a daily basis, and really thinking about the life cycle of the product. We are not now just responsible for launching a product. I'm now responsible for the life cycle of it. What is going to happen to our tractor 10 years from now? What kind of a footprint are we going to leave behind? Especially if we are claiming to help sustainability, we also have to have the, we have to think about the product from that standpoint. So all of those have been challenges. Uh, but at the same time, we all start off on these journeys because, you know, we all love to learn. We all want new learnings, et cetera. So from that standpoint, it's really been fantastic uh, in getting those things going. Yeah, and by all measures, outside measures uh, that, um, that people see out there, you guys are doing fantastically well. The launch was uh, very well received. So congratulations on that. Now, um, one last question about Motivo. You, you developed some really cool projects at Motivo, and it was just it was robotics, it was EVs, and the company's still going. Um, talk a little bit about some of your favorite projects, I think. It would be interesting for our audience before we dive into Monarch in more detail. Yeah. My favorite project at Motivo is always the next one, is what I tell people. Because <laughs> if you ask me when I started Motivo, on what we'd be working on, I would have very much given you a narrow slice. But again, 
you know, it's amazing to see the kind of opportunities that uh, that came up, right? We never thought we'd be working on autonomous flying electric aircraft, and not just one project, but doing three or four of those and playing a pivotal role in getting them off the ground, right? Pun intended. So those kind of things have been fantastic. But to answer your question, Vitaly, I think, uh, you know, the my, my favorite projects there were some of the most ambitious where our collaborations with firms such as, uh, you know, Divergent 3D on the mobility side was a fantastic project. Our collaboration with Airbus in doing their Wahana project, which was an electric vertical takeoff and landing urban air transport system, and is, is definitely was a highlight as well. And the third one, I think, was some of the ag projects that we did there, um, you know, doing the potato transplanting project out in Louisiana, right? Standing in a field in Louisiana and trying to like kind of look at how the plants are being, um, you know, uh, put into the ground, right? Sounds very simple, but understanding how complex that is. I think those three are the highlight projects. Uh, Divergent 3D from an automotive standpoint, because I'm still a car guy. <laughs> uh, the Airbus Wahana project in terms of the massiveness of that project, right? And we got involved in it in 2015, Vitaly. It was very much a dream, right? People were like, oh, batteries are not there, motors are not there. This uh, transition of flight was still an uncommon thing. And to go from that to 120 plus flights, right, of that actual at scale system was mind blowing. And I happened to see the last one, um, you know, and that was just mind blowing. And the third one was standing in that field and taking something that's so simple as like, take this plant and stick it in the ground, right? How hard can that be? And understanding how hard that can be was mind-blowing as well. So those would be my three highlight projects. I think uh, the the, um, the aviation project is actually not well known. There's been a lot of uh, discussion about other air taxi plays, uh, but this one is, I think you might have broken some new ground here, talking about the number of flights. So hopefully uh, there's no NDA uh, in place. <laughs> I'm really excited to share something a long time in the making with you. My first online course. Over the years, I've trained thousands of founders through my book, Accelerated Startup, and my infamous Pitching Like a Boss workshops and keynotes. Like I've done for thousands of founders, I will teach you how to pitch like a boss. And for the first time ever, I will be doing it in a cohort-based online course. This is the world's most comprehensive and intensive course for entrepreneurs and future founders on pitching. It will help you craft the perfect pitch for investors and customers. It will also help you master public speaking. Get funded, communicate your vision to grow your team and dramatically improve sales of any product. Check out golem.net slash pitching. That's G-O-L-O-M-B dot net slash pitching for more information. See you there. It seems like a zero emission tractor is a no-brainer, right? Uh, you know, you don't want this particular matter in your food. But why has it been so long? You know, why has the industry been so slow to adopting, first of all, the EV aspect? And how are you changing their minds? Yeah, on the face of it, uh, Vitaly, when you think about a tractor, right, uh, uh, most of us from the consumer side come look at it as, oh, it's just like a car, it's powered by an engine, so we should be able to replace with it, uh, with that battery system and an electric motor and get going. But the challenges are very different in the sense, and that's the reason why we have not seen too many of the electric tractors out there. I mean, 
there's no major tractor supplier or tractor company that currently sells an electric tractor, which like you said, is mind boggling, right? For such a, a concept that all of us agree should be in place. The reason for that is the tractor does more than just driving. It is also powering implements behind it and running operations. So from a power and energy standpoint, the requirements are much more drastic and much more demanding than an automotive, where all you're doing is going down a highway, yes, at speed. So that creates a lot of challenges. The second side of it also, Vitali, is the environment and the utilization. Unlike a car, tractors, uh, in some cases, uh, are used 24-7, right? When you're trying to do harvest and you're limited in terms of how much the, the season gives you, and within that timeline, you have to harvest everything or you have to plant everything, right? Then it becomes a utilization play. And we all know what the limitations of batteries are when you compare it to a, you know, a diesel tractor that can be refueled in 10, 15 minutes. So these power demands and also the environment is very harsh. Tractors don't have suspension, so every electronic piece on them really gets, gets beat up a lot. And then the fact that you have to provide a lot of power and a lot of energy at the same time to actually not just power the tractor, but also the implement behind it. All three of them create a confluence of technology challenges. And that is the reason why, um, you know, a lot of, you don't see a plethora of these tractors out there. But again, that's where innovation has a role to play. Um, and we came up with a very innovative system that allows us to meet all those three demands and meet the requirements of, of an electric tractor of the farmer without any compromises, whether it's on the utilization side, the power side or the energy side, right? And that's what we're proud of here at Monarch Tractor. And that's also the reason why tractor companies are investing into Monarch today, is to get access to our technology and to be able to license that, that tech, yeah. Yeah, the power generation and, and the, the torque and, and uh, being able to uh, store enough energy, those are the innovations that, that are really the core, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly, the torque uh, that we are providing and the efficiency and also the fact that we have a you know with our battery swap system we can provide 24 7 utilization very similar to a diesel tractor you can swap our battery with just one person out in the middle of the field just as how you would refuel a diesel tractor from a diesel tank out in the middle of the field so that's a statement only a monarch makes really long extension cord for that charger out there in the middle of the field <laughs> We saw one of those concepts from one of the major tractor companies, right? And it kind of blew our mind that somebody actually like put that into practice, right? <laughs> so. They're snaking this uh, mile long cord behind them. That's interesting. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. So besides uh, besides being electric, um, it's all, you also have autonomous functions. You you alluded to this that there was a shortage of of people, and this is where kind of the idea was born. For a long time, and and I'm I'm kind of guilty of this as well, is that there was a lot of discussion about uh, autonomy taking away really big categories of of work. Uh, namely, you know, commercial trucking, one of the biggest industries in the U.S. at least and worldwide. Uh, but a lot of these fears have been unfounded in the last few years because, as a result, you know, as it turns out, there's actually already not enough people for the to fill the demand. Uh, there's still that fear, and you're dealing with a very conservative, uh, very old school customer by design. Uh, talk a little bit about kind of autonomy. You know, how do you guys approach it? How do you position it? Because you know, your system can be fully autonomous, but how do you make that balance? Exactly, so uh, let's look at the field first, Vitaly, right? The field of agriculture 
uh, is very different to even um, on-road trucking or uh, in warehouse kind of automation kind of plays, et cetera. The reason for that is uh, multiple fold. Agriculture is the third most dangerous profession. It's second only to mining and construction. So unless you're going down a mine, right? <laughs> agriculture is fairly dangerous in terms of that work. The second thing is agriculture is also more dull, dirty, you know, and of course the danger part than even construction, right? Like in agriculture, very often you're going down this row, spraying chemicals, whether organic or inorganic, right? For long periods of time out in the middle of nowhere. Not exactly, you know, the greatest profession on the planet, if you think about it from that perspective, right? And tractor drivers these days are very hard to get. Uh, you know, and in California, you're looking at 20 plus dollars an hour for a tractor driver, and it takes them weeks of training before they can even sit on a tractor and do an operation. Weeks of training, right? So if you look at it, it's a skilled job, it's a dirty, dull, dangerous job, there's not enough people out there, and it's not also healthy for them to be, be exposed to these kind of, you know, uh, things out in, out in the field. So all of that combination makes it a good play for automation, and what we want to do is to move people from the seat of the, of the tractor to being fleet managers, where they're managing six to eight tractors at a time. We, our pitch to farmers is this, we say take your best tractor drivers, you know, the ones that you have, the ones that have been with you, and the ones that who want to grow inside your, your farm operations business, make them fleet managers, right? Have them manage these fleets of tractors from the comfort of your barn and have them manage the operations. Let's not put them out in the middle of a 5,000 acre field, driving the tractor up and down a row, spraying things often in the middle of the night, right? That is not something that people want to do, and that's why you cannot find enough tractor drivers. And that's a global problem, by the way, Vitaly. We were, I was in India, right? And we did an electric tractor, and we took it to a, a village in India, and we said, hey, here's an electric tractor, does all these amazing things, right? Please, like, we would like to get some feedback from you guys and use it. And they said, uh, who's gonna drive it, right? <laughs> I was like, well, uh, any one of you, right? <laughs> this was five years ago, we were at the beginning of our journey. And they were like, well, there's only two people in this whole village who can drive a tractor. And when we rent a tractor, the tractor driver comes with it. So unless you have a solution for this, right, for this skilled job that, that requires a trained person to manage the tractor and the operation that's happening behind the tractor, you're not solving my problem. And that was like a mind-blowing epiphany for us back in 2016. And that's why our tractor is not just electric, it also has you know, driver optional capabilities, which means number one, if you're not comfortable with the autonomy side, put a person on there, right? And we have a lot of safety systems on there that allows us to put an, a relatively unskilled person there without damaging the equipment, the plants, or hurting themselves, can start doing these operations. But we want to encourage farmers to say, hey, you know, once you feel comfortable with that, get them off the seat. Have them look at a tractor, have them manage two tractors, and our goal is to get them to six to eight tractors from the comfort of their barn. And the tractors come back to the barn, and then you kind of run the fleet operations and fleet maintenance things on it. So they become, they become drone pilots. Exactly, right? You can call these uh, tractor drones or drone tractors at some point. <laughs> it's going to be... Exactly. That's exactly it, right? Would you rather do that or do you want to do an all-night spray operation 
on a tractor. And it's, it's not a surprise that uh, people are leaving agriculture for other professions. They're, they would rather work in an Amazon warehouse than be on a tractor, right? And that's not actually at the top of anybody's profession either. But that's how challenging these jobs are. No, that's great. And, um, you know, more on autonomy. When will we have those million autonomous taxis on the road, <laughs> in, your, in your view? <laughs> I was wondering the same thing when I was waiting for my uh, shared taxi ride the other day at the airport, right? <laughs> uh, the pandemic has completely, like, uh, decimated uh, the shared <laughs> the shared ride suddenly. So, a long story short, Vitaly, I think, uh, you know, we'll start to see a lot more automation in very select use cases first, uh, agriculture being one, uh, some other off-road autonomy like mining, construction being other applications. And on the on-road side, what you're talking about, we'll see much more limited deployments, right, in limited geographic areas. Uh, the million taxis, I think, is going to take us a while to get there. But at the same time, we also should not uh, underserve what all of us in the mobility space have achieved in a very short period of time, Vitaly, right? This tremendous capital has gone in, right? Thanks to a lot of visionary folk, thanks to a lot of belief, a lot of developments. I, I remember the time when it cost us $35,000, Vitaly, to buy a LiDAR system. And we had to wait for like three months to get one of these LiDARs, right? $35,000. Yes, we still don't like the number they're at today, that the fact that they're not a few hundred dollars, but we have come a long way, right? The hardware has come a long way. The technology stack has come a long way to where people can now deploy small robots. High school kids are now deploying small autonomous robots using off-the-shelf stack, right? So these are all leading to amazing innovations, which has all been made possible by the visionaries who have made these big bets in automotive. And the fact that it's taking us a little longer should not deter us, nor should we be, uh, you know, should we undercut what we have managed to achieve in the last five years, uh, five to seven years uh, on that side. I think we have done the whole, all of us in the space have, have, have contributed a lot to this advancement and we should be very proud of where we are. But yes, the journey is still uh, not complete. I agree with you there. Yeah, with every new technology wave, we tend to underestimate how long the first order effects are really gonna take and um, really underappreciate the second and third order effects that, that are behind it. Exactly. So it's a, it's a really interesting thing to watch and it, it's much easier to, to look at in the rear view mirror, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> in, in five years, another five years, we'll look back and, and, and uh, wonder how we, how we pull it off. Yeah, and also Vitaly, on that same note, right? You and I, uh, you know, share this passion for like race car driving and there's a saying in race car driving, right? That there's a reason why the rear view mirror is this small and our windshield is this big, right? Yes. We should not be driving by looking at the rearview mirror. We should be driving by like what's ahead of us. And I think that's what I'm excited about. That, that, yeah, that's a great way to think about it. When companies start to catch fire and blitz scale and look for capital to fuel that growth or look to find the right exit strategy, they often seek the counsel of investment bankers. At Drakestar Partners, we work with some of the leading companies in global tech on capital raises, M&A, corporate carve-outs, SPACs, and much more. And we're pretty good at it. Our team of over 100 technology sector experts across nine offices in six countries is comprised of not only career bankers, but experienced executive venture investors and technologists. 
Drakestar Partners is the number one ranked and fastest growing mid-market investment bank across US and Europe. While I focus on mobility and energy transition sector, along with all things Silicon Valley, my partners from the Pacific to the Atlantic and around the world lead in software, media, communications, and everything in between. Learn more about us at drakestar.com. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, Monarch and, and kind of the economics. You chose to launch the, a very small form factor tractor, go after the wine uh, grape farming industry, which is high value. And one of your team members is from a very famous winemaking family. Um, you know, talk about uh, a little bit about the economics, just so people understand, you know, what does a tractor cost? What's a, wh what are the economics behind the business? Why do you choose this particular segment? And what's next on the horizon for you, if you can talk about it? Yeah, so um, when we started off on this journey, um, our, we were driven by two things, right? One is how can we have a meaningful impact on the global farm ecosystem? Uh, and the second thing is uh, how do we also make sure that this is economically viable, right? Where do we start and where do we go? Where, from a business standpoint, we're, we're just as important. So with those in mind, the reason we picked a compact tractor platform in the 40 to 70 horsepower class is you know is because these are the most commonly used mechanization tool in farming vitali is this tractor right you can take this tractor to india people will immediately uh, relate to the form factor right whereas if you take a 700 horsepower tractor that sits in the midwest out to india right it's going to look a little out of place we can take this form factor to any country in the world and a farmer will see it and say yes i can use this tractor and the highest number of tractor population in the world is our size. And also the fastest growing segment is our size. And by the way, when we made this bet uh, four years ago about, about going after this class, that was not the fastest growing segment. So we definitely like kind of you know, looked forward and could see this coming. So we're very uh, happy about that piece. The second piece of it, Vitali, was now that we had this form factor tractor, that we wanted to have a single product that could address the global need. When we started looking at how we wanted to transform farming, right, this was not just an efficiency play for us. We didn't want to just tell, give a tractor to the farmer and say, hey, right now you spend somewhere between twenty-five dollars to $40,000, $50,000 on a tractor, uh, on a diesel tractor. Please buy our tractor for like, you know, today it's $58,000 and you'll see some savings over a period of time, right, was not, uh, was not just our pitch. Our pitch was use our tractor. Yes, it is more expensive, but it is also going to fundamentally change your business. The reason we then the way we saw that happening was the data from these tractors could allow the farmers to tell their story to the end consumer at the end of the day, right? And when we thought about it in those terms, the wine industry makes a lot of sense, right? When you buy a bottle of wine, it's not based on the cost that went into making that wine. You know, there's a lot more behind it. You're buying into the practices that went into it. You, you're, go, you're buying into the philosophy of that winery and that vineyard and the location and the story behind it. And there's a big difference, right? You can buy a six, you know, a $6 bottle, you can buy, you know, multiple thousands of dollars on that standpoint. What if we could do the same for a lot of our fruits and vegetables as well, 
Right. And we have seen this in other industries too. I mean, coffee has done that, right? I remember a time when coffee was 50 cents and you bought it by the pound, <laughs> right? In the late 90s, that was that industry. And, but today, right? Thanks to the thanks to the understanding of what goes into it, it's a customized product for customized consumers, and that that story and that scrutiny and the transparency and the traceability of that product increases the value of that product. So that's our vision long term. With that vision, we said, hey, let's go into the vineyard industry because one, they use the compact tractors in in our size class. Two, they are the most demanding customers. By the way, if we make a mistake on our automation, if you run into a tree. <laughs> That's a $30,000 wine that was like planted like 20, 30, in some cases, 50, 60 years ago, right? <laughs> and it's also very demanding in terms of terrain. It's also very, uh, you know, very narrow. If you can make a tractor work in an Sonoma vineyard on these hilly terrains in the fog and in the harsh climates at night, trust me, we can go to an apple orchard and make the tractor work. So that's why we I, I, we set a very high bar for our technology and went into the vineyards for the storytelling, for the sustainability focus, for the fact that they also change out their equipment a lot faster than anybody else in the farming ecosystem. The value was there to be captured on the business side. And on the tech side, it was the most demanding tech environment. And if we can succeed there, we can succeed everywhere in the fruits and vegetables market. So that led us to the Napa Sonoma vineyards. Uh, more than, you know, 60% of the top vineyards in California are Monarch customers today. And thanks to their how well known those brands are, we are now known. Every vineyard around the world knows of Monarch Tractor today, right? And our launch was only in December because it's a very tight community. They also focus on the brand and the marketing side of it. So they all know what, what the other vineyards are doing. So we have had interest from Portugal, France, Spain, um, Australia, New Zealand, right? Anywhere there's, where there's a winery and a vineyard, we are now well known inside that whole industry. So we have managed to build a moat in that, uh, in that segment. And now we are approaching orchards. So that was our strategy from day one. So it sounds like you built the iPhone of tractors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what we tell people because they often say, hey, I can actually get a Chinese tractor for like $15,000, right? And I'm like, sure, you can also get a you know, $25 phone, right? Why aren't you getting one of those? Right, so it's about value. So we don't see the tractor as a mechanization tool anymore. We see the tractor as a data sensing and action uh, device that sits in the middle of your farm and right really plugs you to the whole food ecosystem where the consumer can see how you're growing your food, your buyer can see what's happening, your farm manager can see what's happening, and they all can kind of buy into this ecosystem, right? And that's amazing. So that's what really excites us, as you can tell. Well, there, there's this whole software side that uh, that you have that just doesn't exist with kind of analog tractors. Can you talk a little bit about the specifications? Kind of what sensor stack uh, do you have on the tractor? What What's a uh, battery size? Just so people get an idea of scale here. Yeah, so that's the other thing is very early on in our stack, Vitali, we doubled down on the vision side, right? At a time when... And often tractor companies say this as, oh, we've had autonomous tractors for a long time, right? I'm like, yes, you're absolutely right, All right? And that's uh, tens of thousands of dollars of hardware with very precise location systems based on you know, GPS and GNSS systems with tremendous correction services behind them, you know, providing that inch accuracy inside a very structured 
uh, row crops in the Midwest. What we have done is we took the complete opposite approach, right? If they are the sun sparks of the world, this might be too old of a reference for some of the younger people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let's find a newer reference, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The main, the mainframes, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we are the complete opposite, right? We took a very commodity hardware and white box this and a lot of proprietary software that ends up on it. So the hardware cost is very low. So it's all, to answer your question, it's all vision-based. We have like eight plus cameras on our tractor that we use not just for automation and uh, very precise localization, but we also use it for agronomy. So we get double duty out of these sensors, right? Which is not something that too many people in other fields can claim. And we overlay that with GPS. But again, this is hundreds of dollars worth of GPS equipment. Um, and then we triangulate our positions using a combination of vision plus GPS uh, and dynamic mapping. Because in ag, there's no maps that we can purchase, right? There's no maps that we create that are valid even three weeks later. So we have to have a very dynamic system. So, but all of this is commodity hardware, very low compute footprint, a fair amount of on the edge storage because connectivity is not a given in ag. I, I always find it funny when our when my friends in urban mobility complain about like 4G and 5G and I'm like, dude, I can't get a cell phone signal. <laughs> Sometimes when our tractor is doing autonomous work, right? <laughs> uh, so forget like data connections. So how do we kind of make this happen in a low connectivity uh, kind of an environment? So our, our hardware stack is vision overlaid with GPS, very low compute footprint, fair amount of storage, and we have multiple layers of connectivity. So all of that is our automation stack. And then the real magic is combining that very tightly with the vehicle control side. So our automation and the vehicle control are completely integrated. So this is what I tell people, right? There was a time when, you know, the because it's not just about controlling the tractor, it's also about controlling the implements and everything else. So if the tractor has transformed from being a mechanical device to a smart sensing and take action kind of a device, right? More of a data uh, and a data, a smart data robot. You need a new kind of software to power these kind of robots, just as how you needed new operating systems to power the smartphones versus the old firmware that ran on the Motorola's and you know and the other old old school feature phones. We need a new kind of software to deal with the automation side, the electrification side, and the data side, and really like you know reconcile all these things. And that's what our data platform at Monarch does. So tightly integrating them allows us to control the vehicle platform as well. So when we are slipping or when we are stuck in mud, or when the implement throws a fault, or when the implement is stuck on a on a on a barbed wire, or when we have to go through the trees, Vitali. A problem that our urban mobility guys don't like, right? You don't run a car through the orchard, right? But for us, when the vision system says there's, there's, there's trees around, the tractor still sometimes has to go through it. You have to make calls on do we go through it or do we stop, right? So doing all of that with vision is a part of our core tech. So that's what we're, again, you know, something that our team here at Monarch has done an amazing job of, and we have succeeded in the vineyard business, which is the 
you know, the most demanding of those. Hearing you talk about this, I mean, it really kind of paints a great picture of how challenging these things are. And it's not just, hey, let's make an electric tractor and put some sensors on it so it doesn't bump into things. Yeah. But uh, just, just the connectivity issue alone uh, really yeah. kind of makes this a, a floating island out there and uh, maybe difficult to control at some point. Yeah. So have to have very advanced intelligence. So out of all these challenges, what has been the biggest one so far, be it mechanical, technical, or on the business side? What has been your biggest challenge with Monarch bringing it to life so far? I mean, the biggest challenge is on the, maybe I can answer, take one on each side, right? Because in, in these kind of like transformational plays, there's always challenges across the board and we have to solve the tech side, the business side, and the scaling side, right? As, uh, Vitali on that side, on the business side, it's it's been very much changing the mindset of people. Um, unfortunately, uh, a, a fair number of technologists in the past have parachuted solutions to farmers. They basically go there and say, hey, this is an amazing thing that we've come up with. This will change your life, right? And farmers have now become cynical because those things don't work in their ecosystem. So we've had to integrate um, you know, uh, the farm operations right from day one. We started the company and then we pitched a tent at a vineyard in, in month two, right? And we started working inside a vineyard. So our AI engineers were out inside that tent on a vineyard day and night, being a part of that ecosystem and, and having feedback. So that's been very challenging uh, to kind of change the mindset of both the investment community and also the ag community and saying that, hey, we are, you know, we are credible, here's our technology, this has been developed by farmers, with farmers, for farmers, right, as has been a big challenge on the business side. Uh, on the technology side, uh, definitely the, the, on the electrification side, the lack of infrastructure, right, if, you, if, you, if you're complaining about the number of charge points on your road, right, there's not even basic power out in the middle of the field. So we have to solve the battery swapping capability and how do we put it on a mobile system that a farmer can use right in the middle of the field was, was quite challenging. On the automation side, you know, the localization with, you know, with very low bandwidths, right? We run our, uh, our tractors run our $25 data plan. <laughs> so, right, so, you know, how do we kind of solve that problem has been has been quite challenging. It took a fair amount of time before we were able to solve the, the vision challenge of how do we run our tractor through a vineyard with everything changing constantly. Um, and those were some of the big ones, but I'm happy to say that, you know, uh, it's not, the journey is not complete, don't get me wrong but we've made some good headway and we've moved the needle on each one of those. Well, that sounds great. I think, uh, I think what you're doing is fantastic. We, we were introduced a few years back here already, time flies. And uh, just watching you take it from a stealthy idea to this, uh, this overnight success, let's say years in the making um, out there is, is, just, is just fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to, uh, to how you develop and, and uh, working together with you on that. Um, so last question I'd like to ask is that, you know, you, you are, um, you're not at the beginning of your career anymore, as young as we look. Um, you, you've been around the block a few times. Um, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your 20-something-year-old self at the beginning of your career? I think uh, maybe a little more patience. <laughs> yeah, I'm still accused of being impatient today. So, 
but I think uh, Vitaly on a more serious note, right? Um, what I would what I would definitely go back in time and tell my younger self is to continue the the relationships and the investments that would that happen into the people and to enjoy the experience of the journey more. Right, I was so focused as a young uh, engineer and then as a young, you know, uh, you know, business entrepreneur on meeting the goals and making the business happen. That sometimes you lose sight of uh, of like just looking around and saying, "This is this is pretty cool," right? And these days I'm much more conversant with that. So sometimes in the middle of India, and I'm like, I stop everybody and I'm like, guys, can you believe that on a 10 o'clock on a Monday morning, we're all hanging out in a vineyard on a fantastic sunny California day? Yes, we do have a problem here that we're trying to solve on the tech side, but it's pretty pretty cool, right? Not the worst place to be. <laughs> exactly. So I would tell my younger self to enjoy that journey a fair bit more. I've had some fantastic experiences that I probably did not enjoy as much in the moment. That's what I would tell myself. And that's what I would encourage every other entrepreneur to do as well, is not to lose sight of that moment and be mindful of that experience as much as the goal, as much as the team camaraderie uh, that's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Our perspective definitely changes, right? When we, when we get to, to a certain age and look back a little bit instead of just dreaming of what's going to happen next and, and putting off living until, uh, until something happens. Yeah, Vitaly, on that side, also want to thank you uh, for supporting our cause. This is much more than just a technology or a company. It's very much a changing the mindset of everybody to pay focus to our ecosystem. And you've been a big believer from day one. So thanks a lot for, for, you know, for the journey that both of us have shared over the last two years. That was our conversation with Praveen Penmetsa, co-founder and CEO of Electric and Autonomous Monarch Tractor. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to give us five stars in your favorite podcast platform and share it with your friends. See you on the next one. And in the meantime, you can always find me at golem.net.